Hello, this is Ken, your podcast preacher, and I want to welcome you back to Deep Waters. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strength Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in our lives. The title of this message is Define and Redefine the New Slash Old Way of Lying. So what do you do if you get caught in a situation whereby the rules that you had initially established to control an outcome of your choosing has been successfully challenged and defeated? What have we seen throughout all of history, including and especially in the religious community? Where exactly did penitence come from? How about purgatory? Redefining the truth. Did not Pilate say to Jesus, what is truth? John 18:38. Is it possible that he knew that you could just redefine the rules that supported your initial definition of what or how the truth was defined at the time? This is now where we are introduced to interpretation. They say, Well, I don't see or read it that way. So then we have experts who are defined as such in today's world by expert seers who know what the rules are for defining an expert. After all, are they not also defined by a set of rules? The problem is that experts, or one who carries a title, is subjective. Their opinions are usually subjective. And I'm going to show you at least two things here. The first is how to get into something to ensure you understand its meaning. For example, I like to know what words are and mean, so that I can understand how they assist with the sentence that they are in. DCOM defines expert in this way. Expert, a person who has special skill or knowledge in some particular field. Specialist, authority, a language expert. So even in the definition where it says special skill or knowledge, How is that defined? What is a special skill? And knowledge. How much knowledge? Who determines when enough knowledge is enough so that you've now crossed a line from maybe an intermediary, a consultant, to an expert? You see where the subjectivity comes in? So we would need to find what special skill is to understand the first part of this definition. And in my thinking, it would have to be a skill that other non-experts don't have. Additionally, the example used without further explanation would imply that because I have known English all of my 60 years of living, I am truly an expert. To better understand how this is being used, I would have to know what separates a special skill or knowledge from other skills or knowledge. What is the cutoff that takes and makes a special skill no longer a special skill? Is it when 51% of the population or a specific population has the same skill? And at what level of the skill must they have mastered before we call it a skill at all? An A-level performance? Perhaps a B-level is. So I'm not trying to be irritating here, but I wanted to show you how some things are left open so as to be used for the benefit of someone who is maybe a redefinition expert. Military. The highest rating in rifle marksmanship above that of marksmanship and sharpshooter, a person who has achieved such a rating. Now, if you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm continuing to define expert. Clear enough? No doubt that the military has specific criteria that enables a consistent outcome when this definition is used. But what about the person who is not or has never been a part of the armed services? Can they too be considered a sharpshooter? And by whom shall they be defined? I suspect it depends on the person and whether they are or are not trying to pin something on a person. Just trying to show that 
as clear as this definition is, it looks like it has wiggle room for the unsuspecting banger. Adjective. Possessing special skill or knowledge, trained by practice, skillful or skilled, often followed by in or at, an expert driver, to be expert at driving a car. So here we are back to a special skill or knowledge, with the addition of trained by practice. My initial thought is to ask what is the difference between training and training by practice. And then again to ask what is the cutoff hours practice that determines the difference. But then there is also who is the teacher? Do they have to be an expert to train you? Does the teacher have to be involved at all? Does academics play a role? Isn't there a difference between the level of teachers who teach at a state university compared to a private university? Does winning and losing determine whether you are an expert? If you have always won second place, are you still considered an expert? Is not everyone on the racetrack an expert? How about in the NFL? You see, it all depends on how you define it and what criteria you, the individual, uses to define it. And it is here where I say that the lie exists. Because depending on who you are and what you are fighting for, you can define or redefine it to support your side of the argument. It's all subject to interpretation. Let's keep going on with the definition. We'll be done in a minute. Pertaining to, coming from, or characteristic of an expert, expert work, expert advice. Again, we still have the same problem, which is that we still don't have a clear understanding of what makes anyone an expert in anything. Verb, used with object, to act as an expert for. Have we not all heard from time to time that an expert totally miss a mark on a point, but because they have been classified as an expert, we give them special leniency over the non-expert? This happens a lot in our court system. They get what we call expert witnesses. And the qualifications, again, to be an expert are so subjective that the person who is not considered to be an expert stands almost no chance at defending themselves. I think we should just question if the person is really an expert or not. Time served does not make one an expert. We know politicians that have been in office their whole career and haven't done a whole lot of anything. No doubt we've had employees do the same thing. They can work their whole life in a job at a C-level. Doesn't mean that they were an expert. I do not think that Jesus was considered an expert in anything, and yet he knew and knows all things. Would they have defined him as an expert healer? An expert miracle maker? You see, it just depends on whose side you are on and what you believe. Surely he was an expert at weather. If ever he was wrong in his weather report, he could have just told the winds to shush and the seas to lie down. But so now then, if this is a lock, that is having rules to define or to lock down interpretation, so that only experts can unlock the mystery, and we have all of these systems in place to determine, for example, justice, what life is and isn't, what hate is and isn't, what prejudice is or isn't, then why do we miss it so often as people? And how does this thinking prevail in church? I have heard people say that that is not my interpretation of Scripture, and yet all Christian believers should know that the Word is understood by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, who gives us the revelation of its meaning. In other words, He reveals what the intention is of what that Word is saying to you. It's the voice of God in print, 
Do you really think God would leave it to interpretation for us to understand its meaning? Nope, we're not that consistent. So with this type of thinking, it is like somehow the truth has been built upon a foundation of jello. Do we not have a prevailing system of communication whereby if you tell someone the truth in their performance, then we can round about them around the truth and delay what should be the inevitable? How does this happen? We redefine what it is to be wrong. Hey, so-and-so, and so isn't good in this position. Well, obviously it's your fault because you haven't trained them well enough. But they hate their job. That's because you haven't trained them to love it. But they told me that their dream job is to do something other than what they're doing now. That's because of the lack of training to not only do as well as to love the job that they are in. But they said that they want to retire because they are too advanced in years to do the job. That's because they are tired of waiting for the training. <laughs> I know there's a lot going on here, but what I'm trying to point out is first the end result of this type of thinking, and now the source of it. In John, Jesus states to a group of peeps that they are not from God, or rather the children of God, but that their father is the devil. Now, it's a funny thing that I have read the scripture many times before, and never gave it another thought as to what it really meant, like what Jesus said. Now, of course, you know what I'm about to say, so perhaps you can just say it for me. No, but I did do a message on this line of thinking titled CD Seedlings. But so I don't want to lose you, I will exact some of its origins so as not to leave you in doubt as to what I just said. But before I do that, I want to encourage you to look at the why and not the actual events that made it possible for Satan to have children on earth. You see, the things I just mentioned above are initiated and perpetuated by them. Why? Because their father is a father of lies, and the truth is not found in them. In fact, you could consider them expert liars. <laughs> now we see why they play dodgeball with the truth. I see it like the games we played when we were kids and we had two magnets. Remember those simple days? Anyways, we would try and try to get the polar opposites to stay together. And some of us wondered why they didn't. Trying to get the truth to bond to a lie results in the same effect. They are polar opposites and cannot be bonded together. You see now why the human race had to kill Jesus. He was and is the polar opposite of us. And unless he changed our polarity through the born-again experience, we could not get him. We could not attach ourselves to him. God will never bond himself to the devil or his kids. So is there an exception to the difference in between the truthers and the liars? I mean, could a truther first be a liar before becoming a truther? Yes, in fact, we were all born liars. Think about the last time a kid had to be trained how to lie when asked if they put their hands in the cookie jar. After I show support for these two sides of the family, that is God's children and the devil's, I will show you an illustration I came up with, which, of course, I will have to kidnap from another message I wrote titled, sin, gray matter, as well as in others such as, can't we all just get along? Now the following is just a portion of the message, but hopefully enough so that you get the idea that we have truthers and liars. There are no maybeers. So a long time ago, Satan concocted an idea and entered into the serpent, who at the time was a sort of beast, not a snake. Yet otherwise God wouldn't have cursed it to slide on its belly all the days of its life and seduce Eve to destroy the pure seed. Genesis 3.14 So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. You see, it wouldn't have been a curse if it was already a snake doing snake things. Nope, because it wasn't a snake prior to God saying so. Also of note is the fact that God uses the word beast and not snake. First a beast, then a snake. So we know that the serpent was a beast who was able to chat with Eve and eventually was able to convince her to know him. Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now before I go on, something here just dropped into my spirit. Is it not the same thing when you, I'm talking to the men of the house, go to a bar to go and pick up a woman? Is it possible that you're operating in a beast spirit? Well, one of the ways you can tell is to try to determine or to define what the difference is between you and what Satan was doing here. Now, I used to be a guy, unsaved, and I cannot find a difference between me and what Satan did to Eve. Not to worry. Get Jesus in your life and repent. He'll erase the whole past. So back to the message. Did God not call it a beast comparatively so? If there was no relationship to the beast, then he could have said, than any fish of the sea or any bird of the air. But then that would have been just random, and God is not random. Yep, Satan seduced Eve by entering the beast and yakking away and then some. He committed adultery with her and her with him. Eve ate the degradation of humanity by intermingling with the seed of Satan, the serpent seed. Let's look. Eve stated in Genesis 3.13 that Satan deceived me and I ate. That's seduced or beguiled. Genesis 3.13 And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. If we quickly buzz over to Genesis 4.1-2, we see that Eve had twins. This is not a departure from the story, but a result of what happened in the garden. Genesis 4.1-2 Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Notice she didn't say from uh, Adam. Then she bore again. This time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Also, and I like to share little nuggets, isn't it interesting that Abel was a keeper of the sheep? And are we not all considered sheep? Hm. I'll save it for another message. When it states she bore again, this means that she is pushing out another child. Like right after Cain was born. The Adam knowing her was not a part of her boring down again. In Genesis 4.1, Eve states that she had received a child from the Lord, not Adam. Yep, she did not credit her husband for the child. His name was not on the list of credits. Another bit of info is that Cain was born first, and it is a fact that women who have got pregnant by one man, and then another, usually give birth in the same order of the pregnancy. I know, some might say it's a weak argument and probably wouldn't hold up in court, not if you got around those experts. But when you add it to the rest of the information... You start to see a picture that was hidden in plain sight. We also see in Genesis 4.17 and verse 25, God prefaced the act of intimacy with the word new, both with Cain and with Adam. Genesis 4.17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. He did not say in Genesis 4.2 that Adam knew Eve, and she bore Abel. Nope, it states that she bore again. This means more than once in the same event. One, no, not two. Look, 
Genesis 4.25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. Watch what it says here now. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. He did not say she bore again, even though she already had kids. Also of interest is that Adam, when he named his walking rib Eve, he stated that she was a mother of all living. If they were the parents of all living, then it seems likely that he would have made that statement, her name is Eve, and we are the parents of all living. But this is not what he said, Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Okay, I hear you. You want more? Okay. In Luke 3.23-38, specifically in verses 36-38, through 38, Cain is not mentioned in the generations of men. This is not a mistake. He had to belong to someone or something, as we have his name written in the book, right? I'm not going to read through the genealogy, but it will go down to where his name should be. So we start at verse 37. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Mehalah, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. No Cain. Jude 14 states Enoch was seventh from Adam. Now Enoch is seventh from Adam. Prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. Genesis 5.1 proves this. Cain was not included in the genealogy of Adam because he was not born of the image and likeness of Adam. Also note the very first sentence. Cain wasn't mentioned because he was not Adam's kidling. Genesis 5.1.5 This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. He created a male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now before I go on, why didn't he say Cain? Verse 4, after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now before I continue, think about this. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she gave birth to Jesus. So the spiritual world touched the human, and they had babies. Go to Genesis, and the sons of God saw the women and how they were beautiful, and what did they do? They gave birth to giants. So the spiritual world can touch the natural world, and give birth to babies. You see how that's written throughout the Bible? So the idea that Satan had sex with Eve and gave birth to Cain, or rather a race of Satan's children, because Cain did survive, is not so far-fetched, now is it? I mean, it lines up with other stories in the Bible. But oops, I guess Moses left Cain out. In Genesis 5.1.5, there's no mention of him. Huh, probably just a scribo. Nope because it is consistent with the rest of what I have mentioned thus far. But still, we must go further. Listen to the language of Romans 9, 6, 9. Is it not hidden in plain sight? But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called, that is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So well then, whose kids are they if they do not belong to God? There are no other gods. 
but I am, so they must belong to something that really exists. Of course they do. Now look at John 11, 51-52 before we continue on. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now taking the elevator to the top floor for a minute, I thought it would be helpful to know what we are dealing with in the basement, which is at the foundation of this whole Christian thing. In my CD seedling message, I chat about the different seed contained within the believer and the unbeliever. Hopefully I've provided enough info for you to get an appetite to review that message, but also to support where I'm going in this one. In another message titled Sin Gray Matter, as well in others, such as Can't We All Just Get Along, I chat about the following three circles. These circles represent where each and all of the population of the human race is located. So I'll kind of give you a visual of the illustration. The illustration's simple. On my left is a red circle, in the center is a gray circle, and on my right is a black circle. Simple enough, red being the blood, gray being indecisive, and black being clearly not the blood. We all start in circle two, but ultimately we want to get into circle one. Now because some are of the seed of Satan, they will remain in circle two and or ultimately end up in circle three. And those who end up in circle one can make the decision to go into circle three. Yep, you can backslide from the blood to hell. Yep, it's crazy and don't think for a minute that they weren't sent by the devil to take some y'all with them. Now some just leave because they are not actually born again. And being around those who are is too irritating for them to remain. All of the scriptural support is in the messages already mentioned, so I won't include them here. So at the sake of repeating, I'll go ahead and read what each circle is. So circle one, only Christians who are milk drinkers, that is babies, bread eaters, that is young persons, and meat eaters, that is for the age and mature Christians. Circle two is for the predestined, appointed, the called, also the mixed seeds, the non-believers, and Satan's kids. Now, circle three, the black one, is for non-believers, Satan's kids, the backsliders, those who have wandered from the truth or choose to walk away. Now for the argument against all in the family. So now you see why the truth is fought against so wildly. Remember back in the day, we killed the truth. We do it every time we believe a lie. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5.19 this is how ignorant truth-tellers can get to lying. You see, if you are of God, then you cannot lie, right? Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Titus 1.2, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Is this clear enough? Lie and twist the truth to fit your version of the rules? And by the way, don't forget who your daddy is, at least for the moment. 
Perhaps John can shed some light on this spiritual quandary. John 8, 44, 45. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now before I go on, you need to know that he was talking about Cain. And does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now note, he is called a father. Verse 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. 1 John 3.8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the agenda of the devil is to keep any of God's children from going to heaven. And he uses his kids to achieve that end result. Sorry, but if you hate Christians, there is a reason. And it's not by your choice alone. Daddy is, after all, a control freak. In finishing, there is hope for those of you in circles one and two. Pay attention and look around. If you seek the truth, you will find him, or it, or both. But if you seek to remain a liar, then you are headed into a never-ending fire. But even worse, as if anything could be worse than dwelling in an unquenchable fire, is the feeling of eternal effects of that, as you would have when you lived on earth, is the awful realization that you will never know love. You will be, by choice, eternally separated from God for a gazillion years, and then for a gazillion more. And then after that, for a gazillion more. Overly dramatic? You will have asked that I would have tried harder than I am now if you end up there. Luke 16, 19, 31. So to straighten up any curves in this message, it was about lying to defend the rules that you have in your head, which is one of the signs of a religious spirit. We see this in groupthink, whereby everybody agrees with the other for no other reason than self or job preservation. We see this in mob mentalities where people will put themselves in harm's way for a cause or issue that may even be against harmony in humanity. It's the same thing when someone states we are fighting for peace. Is this how Jesus got peace? He was peace walking among us, promising that peace was obtainable in and through him. Isaiah 9, 6 for unto us a child is born, and unto us a Savior is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We lead people out of circle two, and sometimes three, depending on how they got there, and if they want to remain in it by us telling the truth. The truth shall set you free. John 8, 32. To lie is to identify with the wrong father, John 8, 44, 45. So don't take such compromising steps in your walk with God, whether it's a big lie or a white lie. It doesn't matter to God how you define it. It's still a lie. Well, that's it for today. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages, but what you can take away from them. Together, we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of life to shine through into people's lives. Plant a seed and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Thanks and see you next time in deep waters.